Are you a business owner worried about the safety of your sensitive data? Look no further than Midwest Data Depot, your local off-site backup storage solution. Contact us today. Call 574-855-8588. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recording. This is Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Never say never, but never. I plan on leading this team with an unwavering standard. Everybody love everybody. We will call it the golden standard. And this is the standard that will drive this football program to its 12th national championship. With Sean Styers. I like that guy. Hey, what you could do is, is you could have a barbecue on that it's head. a good time, you know what I mean? On Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. He's running down the middle by the 50. He's bare-chested and banging his chest. They're chasing him. They're not going to get him. And now your host, Sean How we doing? Here we go. Welcome to a Thursday, the Thursday edition of Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Not just any old Thursday, of course. It's the day every NFL team and NFL fans around the country have been waiting for. Of course, it is NFL Draft Day. That is what we have tonight. Jacksonville picks first. Of course, they took Trevor Lawrence with the first pick last year, so at least, you know, we know for a certain, relative certainty, they're not going to be taking a quarterback, but uh, I will just come out and say it, okay? I'll say what none of these NFL draft analysts have said through this draft process for the last four months. The quarterbacks in this draft stink. I, you know, I just, there's no two ways around it. I have not heard anyone say, uh, you know, r- really want to knock these Quarterbacks, Mel Kiper Jr., Todd McShay, they're not going to tell you that because they want you to tune in to ESPN tonight and think the Lions might actually take Malik Willis with the number two pick. Who knows? Maybe it happens. I, you know, they're the Lions. Maybe they will. But if they or anyone else takes Malik Willis in the first round tonight, now I should say high in the first round, let's say first half or even first two-thirds of the first round tonight, they might as well just say, well, we're planning on picking a high again in the first round next year because, look, I'm not saying none of these quarterbacks is going to have a decent career, but this has got to be the worst quarterback draft, you know, quarterback draft class, what, in the last 10 or so years? I think it was like 2013, E.J. Manuel, the only quarterback taken in the first round. He had the likes of Geno Smith, Matt Barkley, Mike Glennon. Those were the top four quarterbacks taken that year. E.J. Manuel, Geno Smith, Matt Barkley, Mike Glennon. 2013 and I'm sorry I'm just not as excited about old Kenny Kenny Pickett you know as as a lot of people seem to be call me skeptical and I don't care about his hand size but call me skeptical of a quarterback who took until his fifth year to have his first decent year in college you know now he had 42 touchdown passes that is an amazing number 42 touchdowns seven interceptions this season The most touchdowns he had had in a season before this year, 13. He threw 39 touchdowns and 25 interceptions in his first four seasons combined at Pittsburgh. Now, one of those, of course, was, you know, a redshirt freshman season where all he had was one touchdown and one interception. But still, that's part of his career total. So, you know, so he had one good year against a bad ACC schedule this year, and now he's one of the top two quarterback prospects in this entire draft. It is basically by default because good luck to any team that drafts him and actually expects him to be a franchise guy. I just, I don't see any better 
than Kirk Cousins. And saying he has Kirk Cousins potential might even be generous. So, I don't know. I wouldn't take any of these quarterbacks in the first round tonight. I'm glad my team is not in the market for a quarterback tonight. Good luck to any uh, any team that, that takes one of those quarterbacks in the first round of the night. Unless, you know, again, like the Lions pick second overall, and then they pick at the end of the draft. If, if they get Willis or, you know, whoever with that last pick in the first round, that's not bad value because you've already got a high first round pick, and then you're basically going into the second round. But uh, no picks in the first round tonight for either the Bears or the Colts. Bears, uh, they both pick in the second round tomorrow night. The Bears will pick 39th overall tomorrow. Colts will have the 42nd overall pick. Both teams potentially in the market for wide receivers. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll talk more about those teams tomorrow and uh, what they're going to do. We'll also talk more about Kyron Williams tomorrow, a little bit about Jack Cohn, you know, some of the other guys. But uh, from our perspective here, tonight's draft is what? It's pretty much about Kyle Hamilton looking to be the first Notre Dame player drafted in the first round since Jerry Tillery back in 2019. And the question with Kyle Hamilton is, where is he going to go? And if you look at, you know, some of the mocks, some of these other things, where is Kyle Hamilton going to go? Both Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay posted their final mock drafts. Pretty much everyone posted their final mock draft either last night or early this morning, getting their last one in, you know, for all the draft nicks to gobble up. And, you know, I'll admit that I was there as well, kind of brushing up on what to expect. Those two guys, Kuyper and McShay, they're pretty close where they have Hamilton going tonight but neither have him going in the top 10 and I was looking and you know that's been kind of the question we've talked about FanDuel uh, my personal sports wagering app has odds on different guys to go at different picks like for example Trayvon Walker the defensive end from Georgia is the favorite to go number one overall tonight uh, to the Jaguars he has minus 450 odds on FanDuel. Iki Ikwanu, Osita Ikwanu's brother, Osita, if you didn't know, of course, uh, plays defense for the Fighting Irish. Iki Ikwanu, tackle from North Carolina State, has the second best odds to go number one, and then Aiden Hutchinson, third. Uh, with the number two pick, Hutchinson is the favorite right now at minus 210. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon has the second best odds to go number two at plus 150. And then you kind of go down, so they've got each pick rated out, uh, one, two, three, four. Kyle Hamilton does not show up in uh, any of these FanDuel odds for any of the first nine picks, and they cut it off at number 10. And Hamilton, they have six players with odds to go with the number 10 overall pick. Drake London, the wide receiver from USC, is plus 250. He's the favorite right now. Jamison Williams, the Alabama wide receiver, is second. Then Garrett Wilson, Jermaine Johnson, Derek Stingley. And then Kyle Hamilton at plus 1,600 has the sixth best odds to go with the number 10 pick overall. So that's kind of where Vegas is leaning. And again, when you look at the mock drafts, everyone else is kind of leaning that way right now. None of the mocks that I saw today have Hamilton going in the top 10. Kuyper has him going to the Houston Texans at number 13, and here's what Kuyper has to say, quote, 
Hamilton's my number four prospect, but he's likely to drop to this range because he ran a slower-than-expected 40-yard dash, 4.59, and because teams just don't value safeties as much as other positions. He's a playmaker who could step in for Justin Reed, who left in free agency. End quote. That is from Mel Kuyper Jr. Todd McShay has Hamilton going one spot earlier, number 12, to Minnesota. Uh, McShay says, quote, Xavier Woods left in free agency, and Harrison Smith is 33 years old. Hamilton comes at a pretty good value, and he has a unique combination of range, size, length, and ball skills. Before his knee injury in October, Hamilton picked off three passes, end quote. Uh, so those are McShay and Kuyper. Daniel Jeremiah and Lance Zerline of the NFL Network both have him going a little bit lower to Philadelphia at 15. Peter Schrager, also from the NFL Network, agrees with McShay. He has Hamilton going 12th to Minnesota. So, again, there's kind of a an assortment. Five different mocks. The best he's going is 12th, and the lowest they have him is 15th. So, you know, kind of in that range right there, in that middle range. So we'll, it'll be, we'll be really curious to see, of course, where he actually does end up going. Could go a little bit higher, could go lower, because everyone's, everyone's playing a pretty uh, – you know, they've got their poker faces on. Haven't heard a whole lot other than a lot of teams that are high want to move down. And, uh, you, you know, there are a handful of teams trying to move up. And I think it's because they want to grab some of those wide receivers like Drake London or Jamison Williams. So, you know, again, you know, we talked a little bit last night about the two things probably that are going to keep Hamilton from being a top 10 pick and Mel Kiper you know, in that write-up that I just read right there, the fact he's a safety, not a premium position, and his slower 40 time at 4.59 from the combine. Irish head coach Marcus Freeman was, of course, Hamilton's defensive coordinator last season, and Freeman was on the NFL Network earlier this week to discuss Hamilton's draft status, and here's what he had to say in response to that slower 40 time. Listen, I've seen him cover the fastest of fast, and um, I know we, we, we have GPS systems that study, you know, how fast a person is running um, on the field of play, and he is the fastest or one of the top two or three fastest guys on our team, and, and he had no issues um, in terms of speed um, and really in terms of any part of the, the position of playing safety uh, for us, and um, he's going to be able to translate uh, translate it over to the next level. So Marcus Freeman, obviously confident. You, don't, you, know, you wouldn't expect to hear anything different from the guy who was his defensive coordinator and now head coach at Notre Dame, but Freeman's saying, you know, there are other more, there's other more modern data than just straight line 40-yard dash time. And, you know, talked about that, the fact that they know how much ground Hamilton can cover on the field when the game's actually being played because of that GPS they have on him. Balls in the air, you know, the game in play. They know how quickly Hamilton can get from point A to point B. Uh, Greg Cosell is an analyst for NFL Media, and here's how he evaluates Hamilton's play. Kyle Hamilton's a good prospect. There, there's no question. I mean, I, don't, I, I think if anybody said he wasn't a good prospect, they'd be wrong. Um, I think he's at his best playing forward and playing laterally, where his incredible length, which is exceptional for a safety, obviously, as we all know. So his incredible length and his build-up speed, because with that kind of stride length, he can really build up his speed. Um, so that's what you're dealing with with Hamilton. Um, I don't think he's at his best playing backwards. Um, you know, and so I don't know. Can he play on the back end? Of course he can. But I think that 
He plays best going forward and laterally. Forward and laterally there is what Cosell was saying. And, you know, I think that's pretty much spot on. But, you know, that's what a safety is going to do 95% of the time. Play deep, play sideline to sideline, especially if you're the free safety like Kyle Hamilton. That's his game, classic free safety. You're going to put him back there in center field, let him make plays. That's what it's all about, you know, just like the highlight interception that he had where he came across the entire width of the field and made that diving interception on the sideline. That's where Kyle Hamilton excels, going as as Cosell was just outlining laterally, playing deep and laterally and coming forward. And, of course, coming forward, he's talking about coming downhill, you know, making quick diagnosis and, you know, making plays on whoever the ball carrier is. And what Cosell's saying about Hamilton playing backwards, he's going to struggle if you're going to, you know, ask him to line up and and play man-to-man against a wide receiver. Now, struggle mightily, I don't know, but that is the weakness in his game. A lot of safeties are going to struggle with that when you're talking about a guy who's got Hamilton, you know, all the long legs, what you know, what those long legs make him a strength doing that sideline to sideline and covering, you know, a vast amount of of area getting to the ball, but in coverage against a theoretically faster, quicker wide receiver, that's not going to be Kyle Hamilton's strength, playing backwards, you know, backpedaling off the line and that kind of thing. But if he's lined up against a tight end, that's a big advantage for him. You know, uh, one of Mel Kuyper's latest evaluations, quote, Hamilton's been dinged a little bit because of his 40 time, which was 4.59 at the combine, a little slower at his pro day. He's a fantastic player, but he doesn't have rare physical tools, which means he could fall out of the top 10. I would want him on my team at 6'4". He could play multiple positions from center fielder to box linebacker, end quote. And that linebacker thing is something that has come up with Kyle Hamilton as well because of, you know, the cut, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the weakness being the coverage skills. It's like, okay, so you play him closer to the line of scrimmage and, and now he's a linebacker. I just, I, I, I don't know about that. Marcus Freeman was asked about that. Freeman, of course, was a linebacker himself, coached the linebackers as defensive coordinator. He was drafted by the Bears as a linebacker kind of coming out of Ohio State. And so here's what Freeman had to say in that NFL Network interview when he was asked about the linebacker talk for Kyle Hamilton. Yeah, he's definitely not a linebacker, in my opinion. Um, he, he's a safety that can um, he can cover. He can truly cover fifty cover fifty three and a third is what we say. It's, that means sideline to sideline. Um, Kyle Hamilton is a guy that can defend in many different ways, but he's a guy that finds a way to always be in a position to make a play. And um, I think that goes to film study, but also athletic ability. And uh, um, he's a huge talent, and uh, he's a great football player. And I think the bottom line is just don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. This is a really good football player. And, you know, we've, we've talked before about guys, uh, Cam Chancellor being one of them, um, the, uh, the, the Sean Taylor, the, uh, the former safety from the, the uh, then-Washington Redskins. Both of them had comparable 40 times as Kyle Hamilton both worked out for them now they had both had different body types but again it's 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 don't overthink it put Hamilton at the back of your defense let him play center field you know you can play one deep with him because of that ability to cover as Freeman said 53 and a third that he talked about there but it all comes back to where's Kyle Hamilton gonna get drafted tonight is he top 10 Ryan Roberts from risendraft.com joined me 
Tuesday, and here is what he thinks. Yeah, I talked to somebody that's very close, um, connected to the NFL, just to try to get a feel, you know, if I'm kind of on the similar wavelength. And for the most part, everything's pretty consistent. I'll say just some quick notes that I have. Kyle Hamilton is still viewed mostly across the league as a top 10 player in this class. So I know there's been kind of a lot of conversations, you know, could he fall out of the top 10? Could he be the 11th pick to the Washington Commanders? Could he fall below that? I think there's a good chance that he's still – is somewhere in that top 10, kind of number 10 to the New York Jets being a little bit of his floor to a degree. But I, I would I will say that there were a couple teams apparently that did drop him out of the top 10 because of the 4 5 nine, 40, you know, and sure. I, I, I would push back against that a little bit, you know, because last week, obviously, we talked about what the context of that 40 is. But I think for the most part, though, Kyle's stock has kind of stayed relatively the same going into the process. So that was good to hear. And so that's where he is. He's in that 11, 12, 13, you know, maybe even 15 range. You could even see him go, could see him slip. You just don't know. You don't know what's going to happen on draft night. And again, a lot of teams, team more teams want to, there's a combination of teams wanting to trade up and down. More teams, I think, want to trade down than teams that want to trade up because of what's available in that, that middle range. But, uh, Here's a kind of a quick what what I did like a quick mock down to where I think Kyle Hamilton will go if I can find it here now and all the all the buzz right now is on Trayvon Walker the defensive end from Georgia going number 1 to Jacksonville so unless it's a huge smoke screen I'm going to go with that part of that great Georgia defense then another defensive end I think will go second to Detroit Aiden Hutchinson keep the the hometown kid close Houston Texans to me it comes down to one of the two cornerbacks Derek Stingley Jr. from LSU or Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati and you know again what smoke screen what's not I don't know I'm gonna go with Stingley though number three to Houston then I'm gonna go with Osita Ekwanu's brother Icky or Ikim the tackle from North Carolina State going fourth to the New York Jets they need help on their offensive line the Giants do too, and the Giants uh, have multiple picks in the first round. So you know it's gonna you're gonna hear a lot of Giants tonight. I'll I've got Charles Cross, the tackle from Mississippi State, going to them at number five this evening. Carolina, you know the early talk was maybe they're gonna go with the quarterback, maybe they go Malik Willis. Sounds like they really want to trade down if they can find a trade partner. Uh, if they don't. I'll go with Evan Neal, another offensive lineman tackle from Alabama. Then the Giants pick again at seventh. Like I said, you're going to hear their name multiple times tonight. They pick fifth and seventh, again, assuming they don't trade down. And this number seven pick is uh, uh, basically what the Bears gave up to get Justin Fields last year. And I'll say that the Giants are going to go with Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati at seventh. Atlanta, Kayvon Thibodeau, all the talk about him, defensive end from Oregon. He goes eighth in my mock to Atlanta. Then the number nine pick, the Seattle Seahawks. A lot of different ways they could go here. And I would not completely rule out Kyle Hamilton here, but I'll go with Jermaine Johnson, the defensive end from Florida State, going uh, to Seattle there. Then the Jets in a, uh, a pick that they got from Seattle, actually, Garrett Wilson, of Ohio State at 11, the Commanders, Drake London, the receiver from USC. And then I have Hamilton going 12th to the Minnesota Vikings. So that's my top 12 right there. I don't need to go through 
the whole thing. But, you know, there's also, uh, you know, there's there's talk about a lot of different teams trying to trade up into this range. So it's going to be really curious to see how that ends up tonight. Who makes the uh, who makes the move, who jumps up there and what they pick when they do, you know, potentially move into one of those spots. I think we're going to see a couple moves tonight, especially with so many teams having multiple first-round picks tonight. So we'll see where Kyle Hamilton goes. We'll talk about it, of course, on tomorrow's show. And we'll also talk more tomorrow about Kyron Williams, Jack Cohn, some of the other draft-eligible players for Notre Dame. But Kyle Hamilton is uh, just pretty much a lock to be the first guy drafted. Should go tonight, and uh, he will be out in Las Vegas. And uh, looks like Marcus Freeman is going to be out there in Las Vegas with him as well. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we've got a Notre Dame football recruiting update with Christian McCollum from irisportsdaily.com. Busy week since the Blue Gold game. We'll talk about Notre Dame's latest commitment and some other guys who visited during Blue Gold last weekend as well. Budweiser's weekday sports beat brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. Tim Grau State Farm Insurance. Save money on home and auto insurance with Tim, serving both Indiana and Michigan. Call 574-232-9981. Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger serving our community while serving Michigan's most favorite pizza since 1978. And the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger's a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. A timeout, and then we've got that recruiting update with Christian McCollum from irishsportsdaily.com next on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. It's Thursday, and that means Christian McCollum talking a little Notre Dame football recruiting from OurSportsDaily.com. We were just talking off the air, Christian, a uh, a very busy last week or so between, I mean, like if you go back, you had the commitment of Braylon James, then we had the Blue Gold game, and we've had some commitments since then, it uh, it's really kind of picked up the pace here a little bit in the last week or so, hasn't it? Yes, it sure has, and this <laughs> really is kind of what we expected, you know, with the Marcus Freeman era. You know, we'll find out, you know, how they do successfully coaching on the field, but we, yeah. we really expected a, a lot of energy and a lot of passion and a lot of dedication to recruiting, and that, that's what's bearing out right now. Yep, and so last night, the latest commitment, four-star defensive lineman Bubakar Traore, uh, he committed – He's someone whose name it doesn't seem like we've maybe heard a lot of before this commitment. What can you kind of tell us about him? Yeah, so he's on Notre Dame's radar for quite some time. And one way to describe it is he was on – Notre Dame's been trying to get him to visit so long that the guys that were really trying to get him to visit were Mike Elston and John McNulty. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So, you know, he committed – he made a very early commitment to Boston College, the hometown school, and Notre Dame was trying to get him on campus for a, a – camp last summer um he tried to but he didn't really get it ironed out and, and talking to some people around him at the time it seemed like he was set with bc but i think that at the time they were probably just saying that's trying to protect the home school um but you know notre dame stayed on him stayed on him eventually last month he announced he, de- he was decommitting from bc wasn't a huge shock but you know it was definitely a pivotal point in his recruiting process and you know it was obvious right then notre dame went in heavy they said they wanted him. Um, you know, he said that Notre Dame was a school he wanted to visit. What other schools you want to visit? 
I don't know, BC. You know, there's really no one else involved besides <laughs> Notre Dame. Um, and a lot of it has to do with Al Washington, right? So um, when, when Al Washington came on board here, that's when this recruitment really took to another level. And, you know, Bubakar just told me, you know, he's just someone that you can get, get a good bond with. Um, you know, he's on top of me, he talks to me every day. We talk about a lot of different stuff, not just football. So um, Coach Washington was able to get him to, you know, consider Notre Dame stronger. Um, he eventually made the decommitment from BC, visited Notre Dame this week, um, and yeah, pulled the trigger. I mean, he, he's a big time guy. I mean, Notre Dame is there. That interior of the defensive line is really being built up. You know, between Brennan Vernon, um, you know, Brandon Davis Swain, twenty twenty four kid committed over the weekend, um, and now Bubakar, and so it's going to be stacked in there. And you know, like you said, he's not a kid that you know. Notre Dame fans were have been salivating for months, uh, but he's a kid that has you know NFL potential. So a real good get here for Notre Dame and, and Al Washington. And Harry Heastan locked up his first offensive line commit, Sam Pendleton, as well earlier this week. Correct. We talked about that last week, where I yep. had said you know coming out of Pendleton's visit to Notre Dame, I wasn't sure how to you know splice everything in terms of he only needed one visit to go to Notre Dame. Was that good? or bad for Notre Dame. And then, you know, like I said last week, it was pretty obvious after uh, a week of talking to sources that was a good thing for Notre Dame. And, you know, like we said, this is just a kid that really, really feels tradition. He likes tradition. He likes the way Harry Heastan runs his room in the fact that all of those offensive linemen are a unit. They do everything in one. And he really, really is serious about academics. Uh, he wants to major in engineering. Um, Notre Dame had a chance to show him. Look at Sam Mustfer majoring in engineering here. We got other guys majoring in engineering on the team right now. Sam told me he hadn't seen that anywhere else he'd been. Um, and really, you know, it was just a, I think the East Coast schools were hoping he'd stay home. But this is a kid and his family, uh, they really wanted to just do what was best for him. They weren't going to let, you know, location play a role in that. So, like when you say other schools he hadn't seen, you know, guys majoring in engineering. Is that basically to say that, you know, schools were kind of steering guys away from hard majors at some other places? Is that? Yeah. I mean, I think that that's commonplace. I really do think that's commonplace. Okay. And I mean, you know, even, even Notre Dame at times, I mean, I don't think you have, very I mean, many I understand. Kids that, yeah. But. That, that play football in and major in architecture at Notre Dame, you know, that's a, a real, you know, tough one there. And sometimes it just doesn't really line up, but yeah, there's, you know, football coaches, as much as they want their kids to graduate and they want them to become better young men and all that stuff. And that, that's all true for the most part. Uh, you know, they, they prefer their kids, you know, have some ability to really, really focus on football. And some yeah. of these, some of these majors don't really allow that. So interesting. Yeah. Drew Tranquil was another engineering guy off the top of my head. So, mm -hmm. all right, Christian McCollum, irasportsdaily.com. So a lot of visitors, obviously last weekend, we talk about what talked about, you know, last week, what a big visitor weekend it was going to be. So let's just kind of hit some of the guys, uh, that, that were in town, last weekend Braylon James the kid from Austin who committed the wide receiver I think we talked last week about how he was working on the other Austin kid Jaden Greathouse uh and he was in town any uh any kind of word on how things went with him yeah I think it's interesting you mentioned Braylon James because you know they're really close Braylon and Jaden and that kind of is a bit of a draw to Jaden but Braylon was not on campus this weekend which he wasn't supposed to be um but Jaden still really 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 felt like he hit home um, with the other recruits that were there. And I think somehow that's like a positive that Braylon wasn't there because, you know, if you go and visit a school with your buddy, you're going to be with your buddy all the time and you may, may not get to know the other people. But since he was there on his own for the most part, he got to know the other kids and know that he fit in. The other guy that made a huge impact here was Chancey Stuckey. 
Um, he really, really felt like, you know, that's a kid, that's a guy that can develop him as a coach. Um, and, you know, we'll probably go through this a lot of these guys, but Great House is coming back. He's already sent an official visit to come back June 10th. That's going to be a major visit weekend for Notre Dame. He's coming back, and, you know, he's only got official visits scheduled to Oklahoma and South Carolina. Um, Texas is really a school to watch here. Um, I think he can, you know, obviously lock in an official there anytime he wants. But this could be a Notre Dame-Texas battle, and the fact that he has a Notre Dame official set and a Texas official not set, uh, you know, I don't know if you can read too much into that, but it's definitely, you know, it's good for Notre Dame. And so he's, he's serious about Notre Dame's interest. This was his first time here, uh, and, you know, they made a huge impression. Another wide receiver in town as well, Pennsylvania wide receiver Rodney Gallagher. This is the kid that's electric. He is a dynamic player with the ball in his hands. There's not a lot of film of him playing receiver. Um, he plays wildcat quarterback for the most part. They just snap the ball and let him go, uh, kind of the way my son's 11-year-old football team used to do it. <laughs> just put the best kid back there, give him the ball, and watch him go. That's right. Um, we were kind of hearing mixed things and coming into the visit for the last month or so, right? It seemed like, you know, I, I don't. he had said he was going to visit, and then he said he wasn't, or, or he said he would visit, but he didn't lock in visits. And sometimes, you know, my boss at Irish Sports Daily, Mike Frank, always says, watch what they do, not what they say. So the fact that he was kind of scattering that visit was a little bit concerning. Um, and it was like, you know, come into this visit, let's see what, what how it goes. It went marvelously by all accounts um he's a kid that really really enjoyed himself liked the coaches impressed with the campus another guy that had fun with all the other kids that are around he too will be back june 10th for that official visit weekend okay um he's also going to take officials to west virginia and oklahoma state um penn state is a school here he's got an unofficial coming up to penn state i'm sure he'll take an official to penn state uh but he's a kid that to you know penn state notre dame could be this battle um, and he's a summer decision kid. He'll probably have his decision made by July. All right. And then another skill position guy running back out of Washington, Jaden Lamar. And I believe he's kind of been one of their one of their top targets in this 2023 class, hasn't he? Correct. Yes, he's a guy that we think um, will ultimately commit to Notre Dame okay. um, at some point. We felt that way for a while now. This was his second visit to Notre Dame. Um the thing with him, he's he's already you know he's already checked some boxes like we'd say. Um, he's been there, he knows the game the game day experience, checked that, knows what Notre Dame football is about, understands the academics. Um, he likes the coaches. This was his first time to spend a lot of time with Delane McCullough in person. Um, also, Coach Freeman as the head coach. Um, but the thing that really hit him this week was they showed him how he would fit both on and off the field. So they're basically telling him he can play a similar role to Kyron Williams played. Um, where they can hand the ball, they can throw the ball. You know, he's kind of got that same, you know, similar build. Um, so that makes sense. And then, you know, they told him about how he would fit in at Notre Dame just, you know, personality-wise. And I think he really sees that, getting a chance to be around all those guys. Um, so, again, he too is expected to be back for that June 10th weekend. Um, and, you know, I think he's going to take a couple more unofficials here soon, cut down his list, then take officials, then have a decision, um, and you know I think he has some officials in mind, but right now the only one we know of is that Notre Dame one. Now I saw part of an article that you had about how Notre Dame has you know knocked it out of the park with this recruiting blue gold weekend, and Caleb Downs from Georgia, the safety, was part of that article. So that sounds like good news with him as well. Yes, so he's a kid, and we talked about him last week before the visit. I mean, an elite-level player, right? So elite, just think about this is a kid that, you know, they would make room for regardless 
um, from Georgia. I mentioned it before. His brother's a receiver at North Carolina, did some damage against Notre Dame. A very, very measured kid, right? He's pretty cool customer. Doesn't get too high, you know, doesn't get overly excited about stuff. But he's been to Notre Dame three times now, three unofficial visits to Notre Dame. Um, a lot of times you'll see these kids from, you know, call it SEC country. Uh, they get offered by Notre Dame. They think it's cool. Oh, yeah, I'm serious about academics. Um, I'm going to go out and check it out. You know, they go out there, take the tour of Notre Dame, and they find out, mm, you know, not for me or, you know, I just wanted to check out Notre Dame. Coming back multiple times, that's a, that's a real sign of serious interest. At the same time, it's hard. You know, nobody really thinks, oh, this kid's definitely come to Notre Dame or Notre Dame's the leader because they're battling, you know, the top schools. You know, they're, they're Georgia, Clemson. You know, those schools are the ones that are going after this kid. Uh, but he really, really likes what Notre Dame offers opportunity-wise after football, and that's really hitting home for him. He told me that's why he continues to come back. He was kind of wishy-washy about scheduling an official visit. Would he do it? Maybe, maybe not. I know he's scheduled an official visit to Georgia already, um, but, you know, wouldn't be shocked to see him on that same June 10th weekend. All right. Christian, there were obviously a lot of guys in last weekend for Blue Gold, and we talked about Pendleton, the offensive lineman, already just a few minutes ago. Some other offensive linemen, obviously, part of the weekend as well. Who are maybe the ones you know they, they, they come out of the weekend with the best feelings about? Yeah, so there's three main guys that, that were on campus this weekend in terms of 2023 class, um, and they're all kind of at varying levels of their recruitment. Um, so Austin Cereveld is a guy we've talked about, the Ohio guy that people expected to be committed by the Buckeyes to the Buckeyes by now, and he hasn't been in like downs. He's continually kept coming back to Notre Dame for visits. That's going to be over now, right? He's making his announcement next Wednesday. That certainly seems like it's down to Ohio State and Notre Dame. Still a very tight race. If you had to give the edge of someone, probably give it to Ohio State. But, you know, similar to Downs, there's obviously something that intrigues him about Notre Dame. Um, Sullivan Absher is a kid from North Carolina who was on campus. You know, he came with his mom this time after coming with his dad previously. I think that's key. Um, and from everything I can tell, you know, that really, really impressed. Both of his parents were really, really impressed with Notre Dame. He wants to have a decision soon, I've been told, uh, like in a matter of weeks, maybe even sooner than that. Uh, it looks like a Notre Dame-Clemson battle here. I think a lot of people thought Clemson led, you know, coming out of a visit to Clemson a couple weeks ago. I didn't get that sense. And now I, I actually feel even better about Notre Dame's chances here. Um, so he's a kid that could pop within the next couple weeks. And then you got South Carolina offensive lineman Monroe Freeling, another elite-level kid on the, on the level of downs. Um, he's been back. This was his third trip. Um, really, really enjoyed it. He's a kid that Notre Dame's going to have to battle Clemson for. And he's a kid that's really going to take his time, from what I'm told. Wouldn't be surprised to see him go all the way into the season with this. Um, so Notre Dame's in a good position, but this is going to be a long, long journey here with Freeling. Okay, interesting. Now, I've probably asked you different versions of this question over the last few months. But I, I think now when you look at this, what the 2023 class is right now, it's rated number one, but it is defense-heavy. Uh, they finally got their first offensive lineman. I believe it's a wide receiver, a running back, and a tight end who are part of this class right now in terms of offensive skill type guys. So do you do you have a sense right now that that you know this staff that they've got is is gonna kinda, you know, they they reeled in Braylon James last week, so that's a start for them, you know, with the wide receiver. But do you have a sense that that they're gonna be more successful? 
in the near future, you know, with those offensive skill position type guys? I do. I think that they're in very, very good position. They already have Cedric Irvin Jr. at running back. I think I said they're very good position with Lamar. And then, you know, adding on to James, they feel really confident about this wide receiver board they have. And okay. it's 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 kind of like large enough and they got enough where it's hard to say, oh, they'll get this guy, this guy, and this guy because it's bigger than that. Um, but Rico Flores is a guy that they're really going to continue going after. He's kind of seems like an Ohio State lean, uh, but Notre Dame's getting in there with him. Um, you know, we've talked about Gallagher and Greathouse. Right. Really good chances with those guys. Those guys are top, top guys. Um, and then another kid that's, you know, we've talked about before, it's got a lot of versatility, is Ronan Hannafin, uh, a kid from Massachusetts mm. who's being recruited as a receiver but could ultimately play safety. Um, and Tyler Williams from Florida is another guy to keep your eye on. He hasn't got a ton of buzz, uh, but it seems like he's been expressing some serious interest in Notre Dame. All right. Sounds great. Christian McCollum, great stuff as always. IrishSportsDaily.com, Notre Dame football recruiting. You'll find more there as well. Tell everybody what else you can find there at ISD right now. Yeah, so uh, on Friday we'll have our weekly ISD Intel where we kind of you know really, really dissect uh, everything that's happened throughout the week. So we'll really go over even more depth, uh, the wide receiver board there. We'll have a Dante Moore update in there, um, Ooh, even yeah. a little basketball stuff. Um, and then, you know, obviously the NFL draft is tonight. I heard I can't wait to hear the rest of Sean's uh, three-round mock draft. That I'm <laughs> yeah, sure he has. that's right. That's right. Everybody <laughs> so, and their brother's uh, got a, a mock draft right now. I so. just was upset you stopped it at 12. Um, and then uh, Matt Freeman will be covering all that draft stuff. Um, and then we'll just have a you know, ton of uh, recruiting stuff throughout the rest of the week. All right. Sounds great. Thanks. Enjoy the draft tonight. Do you have a Cal Hamilton prediction for tonight by any chance? You know what? I think I think someone trades up and gets them or Ooh. someone one of those one of those teams um, that you, you were going over that could take him takes him. He's just a freak, man. I, I, I don't care about his 40 time. He, I know he's, he's just a freak. But, you know, I know you have him going to Minnesota and, you know, I don't know. Notre Dame safety, Minnesota Vikings. Has that ever worked out before? It's kind of, you know. I yeah. think he'd fit right in there with Harrison yep. Smith. You know, nice little segue to, for uh, for Kyle Hamilton. I think there are worse places he could go. Bears fans might for not sure. like it around here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All, right. All right, take it easy, right. Christian. We'll talk Thanks, to you Sean. later. Okay. Bye. Bye. Christian McCollum from irishsportsdaily.com. We'll take a timeout. More Budweiser's weekday sports beat is coming up. I'll tell you what happened with the White Sox and Royals just a little bit ago. And Bobby Hensley coming in. To uh, do some rapid fire, we've got a lot of NFL draft talk in the 6 o'clock hour tonight. That's coming up on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat rolling on. NFL Draft Night. We're just a couple hours away from the NFL Draft. Bobby Hensley and I are going to talk some more of it. Rapid fire in the uh, 6 o'clock hour Tonight, Marcus Freeman joined Andrew Siciliano on the NFL Network earlier this week to discuss Kyle Hamilton and uh, his draft um, potential, his draft possibilities. And so here's a quick part of that interview right now. For Kyle Hamilton, will you please, a guy who I think in most people's eyes is the number one safety on the board and is a, a, as can't miss as it can get. Well, I'll tell you what, if I could have him back for another year, um, I would do anything in my power to get him back. So um, he's just an unbelievable football player, uh, a great young man that loves the game, um, really works at it. Um, he has so many different talents, and uh, we try to utilize him in so many different ways. And I often say sometimes we did him a disservice because we tried to use him in so many different positions. But 
Kyle is a great football player, um, loves the game, studies the game, and would be an addition to the, a huge addition to any team he was drafted to. And he has the size at 6'4", and you understand why you're tempted to move him around so much. How would you use him best at the next level, Marcus? And for those who don't know, your fifth-round pick out of Ohio State, you're a linebacker here. I'm sure you see some of those skills that he has as well. Yeah, he's definitely not a linebacker, in my opinion. Um, he, he's a safety that can um, he can cover. He can truly cover fifty cover fifty three and a third is what we say. It's that means sideline and sideline. Um, Kyle Hamilton is a guy that can defend in many different ways, but he's a guy that finds a way to always be in a position to make a play. And um, I think that goes to film study, but also athletic ability. And uh, um, he's a huge talent, and uh, he's a great football player. What would you tell the people? Marcus, that we're a little concerned with this 40 time at the combine of 4-5-9. Listen, I've seen him cover the fastest of fast. And um, I know we, we, we have GPS systems that study, you know, how fast a person is running um, on the field of play. And he is the fastest or one of the top two or three fastest guys on our team. And, and he had no issues um, in terms of speed um, and really in terms of any part of the, the position of playing safety uh, for us. And um, he's going to be able to translate uh, translate it over to the next level. Do, do you think the 40 time is going to be obsolete in a couple of years? Because like when I listen to guys that I respect here, Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, they, they always go back to what you just said there, the GPS time. You can, you can track how fast Kyle Hamilton – can chase down that ball when it's in the air. You can track his closing speed. 40 time is one thing, but there are more important metrics these days. Yeah, I think it's never going to go away because you have to be able to compare and contrast uh, um, different football players. But um, I think sometimes we put maybe too much power, too much ownership into that 40 time. Um, it still goes back to the film, right? Your film is your greatest um, your greatest resume. And when you watch Kyle Hamilton play, there is no question is he fast enough to play that position. I want to uh, tap. And you know what? You know, you, you hear all these NFL guys talking about, well, he never played the game, you know, people, you know, the evaluators and all this different stuff. And, you know, these guys have played the game. Look at the film. That's all you got to do, I think, to evaluate Kyle Hamilton. You don't need all this other stuff. Like I said earlier, don't overthink it. You know, he's a, a great football player, and I think he's going to play that out in the NFL. Take a timeout. Sports Center update is on the way. White Sox and Royals finished just a little bit ago. They went 10 innings. I'll tell you how that turned out. And then we've got Bobby Hensley, rapid fire in the six o'clock hour on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. You are listening to Budweiser's weekday sports beat with Sean Styers. On Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. Well, Bobby Hensley. It's nice to see you. We meet again. Yeah. How you been? Good. How have you been? Pretty good. Pretty good. Just running through this week. Another cold week here. (laughs) It's like... You never would have known that it was 85 degrees last Saturday. It was just the best day ever, and this whole week has just been total garbage for weather in this town since then. Any two days add up to that one day temperature-wise. Oh, man. Maybe. Dude, 40 and It was 40. in the 30s yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Yeah. It makes me? me grumpy, you know? I almost feel as grumpy as oh, you. that's what makes you grumpy? Well, seeing you <laughs> makes me grumpy, too. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> 
Well, we've got the draft tonight. Are you? Ex- do the Dolphins have a first round pick tonight? I don't think they do. Le- no, they traded it to Kansas City for, for Tyreek Tyree Hill. Kill. Yeah, no. yeah, that's just fine. I think the idea of the draft in general, it's starting to show more and more. The last two Super Bowls, you can buy your players through free agency. Yeah. If you get a guy like Tom Brady who's willing to take a pay cut to pay the other players. And that's, you know, I've said all along, just the whole, the discount that Brady gave in New England and what he's done in Tampa Bay, it's, you can do that when you have a wife who is also a multimillionaire, you know? Okay, I, sure, absolutely right. She's a breadwinner no matter how much money he's making in the NFL. my, My point is... Like Aaron Rodgers, yes, even, yeah, even though that's he was, the other one, right? But like he was dating an actress, but he's not married to any of them, you know. So like he's been through a lot of relationships. I was trying to figure out how to say it, you know, without you know, he's had a lot of relationships with, sure. with Olivia Munn, Danica Patrick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they've all had, but they've never been, you know, he's never tied the knot with any of them. So. He was never going to make some big sacrifice because he still wanted to get his big payday. Tom Brady could afford – Tom Brady was afforded something that nobody else literally in the history of sport – like the only other one maybe is Russell Wilson. With Sierra. With Sierra. Yeah. That's the only other one. It's every well, Everyone that, else is going to get their payday. To that level. But, okay, how about if you were to tell me, hey, you're getting $36 million a year – do you think you can survive on twenty million a year, and we can get you two really good players, and then go yeah, get but go get your State Farm deal, go get your money it's, there? It's it's, it's an, the hubris of it, it. That's that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Nobody nobody cares about I can survive on twenty million versus thirty six million. They all want to get that big fat paycheck. And, and, I, and I mean, and, I don't blame them. I don't blame them. Oh, but like I'm saying, well, well, go ahead. We're just on different sides of the fence here because. I'm on the Tom Brady side, and I hate saying that out loud. Maybe we can take that off. Um, <laughs> I would rather be known as one of the best all time because I won so many championships and divisions and Super Bowls and all this. I'd rather have that be my legacy than the five years I was in my prime, I got paid the most. But again, it was easier for Tom Brady to make that sacrifice because he had a wife who was making even more than him. <laughs> like other other guys, other guys don't have that. Those you know those. They're all if as long as they take care of their money and you know don't get stupid. Right. They're all set for life, just right. like you said. The Even difference backups. between thirty six yeah. million yeah, right. and twenty. Yeah, they're all set for life if they take care of it right. But how many stories do you hear about these guys who blow through all their money and they're bankrupt the next thing? You know, like Cecil Fielder, as a, you know. And there's plenty of others, but you know, just to use that one as an example. Sure, but- and my my point is, the only reason Tom Brady sacrificed, I don't even think it was. Part of it was so they could win championships, but it was also much easier for him to do it because he didn't have to worry about it because he, he's he got a multimillionaire wife himself, and none of those other guys have that. But you talk about Tom Brady sacrificing money to make the team better, and I, I'm not saying he hasn't. Who was the best receiver that they paid for him to have? Well, and they that's, paid for the defense and the line, right? And that's so that still makes a, him look like a star. That's another story altogether. So the way like, he did it, but but Bill Belichick is also ruthless with you know the way he goes about his business. The second, and I mean the, the Patriot second, way, the, yeah, the second you're no longer useful to him, by hit the road. Yeah, it, and I don't know Tom Brady. I just, just look at Malcolm Butler, huh. and like, but there's they so wanted many. him. They wanted Malcolm Butler. 
to take, you know, the hometown discount. Malcolm Butler said, I want my money. I haven't been paid yet. Because, again, Malcolm Butler didn't have a multi-million dollar wife. He had to go out and get his money, and now he was out of football for most of last year, and he's coming back to the Patriots this offseason. But you're also on a different position. I, the no, quarterback I know, position just, in general I'm just saying. is a different dynamic. And But would you rather have, for five years, be the highest paid, which is also a garbage argument because – like um, Deshaun Watson was the highest paid for a minute, and that contract already had to be reworked. And now he's getting paid more in Cleveland. Well, like so. What well, my point is, would you rather be the highest paid for a few years or have two Super Bowls? It's easy for guys like us to say yeah. because we're never going to touch that kind of money. You know? So you would you'd pick the money? No, I'm not saying that. I mean, it it's well, we're going to touch either of those we, things. We're we, not going to win a Super Bowl either. I know it. It's. Yeah, it'd be great to win a championship, but the money sets you up for the rest of your life, you know? And to be honest, they do go hand in hand. Because if you are winning Super Bowls, you're going to get paid more. And and here's the other thing. Tom Brady could have more endorsements and do more commercials, and he might not be doing those because of his wife. So most, that's where you see that more, I think. Most of the guys, I think, would tell you that, you know, they're maybe they're willing to to sacrifice in the short term if they're playing for a really good team for a chance to win a championship. But as soon as they get that ring, then they're going to bolt for the best opportunity to make the most money, regardless. And the other way around too, guys who have made the money but haven't won the championship would take a little bit of a discount to go hop, you know, and find that championship, and then you we'll know see. after that again. You know, go for where the best money is. And this proves your point, but I think that Tom Brady's hubris, we talked about Aaron Rodgers already. Tom Brady's is, hey, I want a Super Bowl on two teams. Can I do it on three? Right. Which is what he tried for a second there. Mm-hmm. So his his idea, because he doesn't have that money thing doesn't even exist to him. Right. Um, is to how many championships can I win in how many different ways? So he's already broken the record for Super Bowls. He's going to break the record for wins. And then... So now how can I make myself even more of a guy that stands out from the pack? And that's yeah. he almost went to three teams. Now he's going to come back, and it'll be interesting to see how this year goes. Like, again, I think Brady, yeah, he wanted to win the championships, and he was in a good situation. But, again, I just think it was a lot easier for him to make that decision because of the fact that Giselle had a big, fat bank account herself that they didn't have to worry about anything financially. Yeah, so. which is – That'd be lovely, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, but the but, guy's you know, also the, very talented. But the other part of this thing is, like, you're talking about how the quarterback is different. I still think that the NFL needs to – the uh, the salary cap needs to – the, the quarterback, it, it, it needs to be done differently because of the fact you know if you've got a franchise quarterback, you've got to pay the quarterback. They either need to remove the quarterback from the situation or say, you know, you're – tax it less somehow yeah they, luxury they, tax it less yeah they need to they need to figure out how the quarterback essentially doesn't wreck the whole salary cap once you're paying the quarterback and then you look at a guy like Devonte adams who did take a paycheck and split yeah and, and even tyree kill kind of in miami yeah these guys are making a lot of money but again tyree kill's got his ring so yep. he doesn't need to worry about it now yep and what he, he wanted the money and the chiefs weren't going to pay him the money which would be very interesting to see how all that plays out because he's going to a team that's trying to build itself with question marks. And obviously I'm biased. I'm a Dolphins fan. Yeah. But I don't know. I The money's nice. I don't know. It's easy for me to say that there's not much difference between $20 million and 36 though. Yeah. Yeah. But that's just me. 
interest, it's a lot. <laughs> well, it's like if you're buying. Just think, you know, just like look at Bobby Bonilla Day. The fact yeah. that what is it like July first? Right, but for twenty years he gets a million dollars or something like that every I think, year. I think it's more than that because. But it started off like yeah. five or six million dollars he was owned. Yeah, and it turned into because of the way they deferred it it turned into yeah like 20 or 30 million over time because of the interest it's like it's almost like a lifetime contract you get a million a year yeah. paycheck I mean, that's a nice that's a nice little pension that Bobby Benilla got <laughs> yeah. for deferring well, 5 or 6 million that might bucks. be the most weird contract in the history of sports yeah exactly it's a Mets thing <laughs> so i tell you what um let's take a timeout when we come back I, I think this has got to be the most infamous moment in the NFL draft. I'll see if you agree when we return, when we hit rapid fire on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Who wants to have some fun? Rapid fire starts now on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. And now your host, Sean Styers. Rapid fire with Bobby Hensley. On Budweiser's weekday sports beat. I'm just going to play this, and then we'll talk about it when we're done. Let's go back for a moment in time to the 1994 NFL draft. The Wayback Machine. Here we go. I mean, here's a team that needed a franchise quarterback. There were two out there. They have a chance at two. They don't take them. They end up coming back into the picture to get Trent Dilfer. They take an outside linebacker. Not even a true outside linebacker. Somebody has to learn coverage in Trev Alberts. But to pass up a Trent Dilfer when all you have is Jim Harbaugh, give me a break. That's why the Colts are picking second every year in the draft, not battling for the Super Bowl like other clubs in the National Football League. Who in the hell is Mel Kuyper, in a way? I mean, here's a guy that criticizes everybody, whoever they take. He's got the answers to uh, who you should take and who you shouldn't take. In my knowledge of him, he's never ever put on a jock strap. He's never been a coach. He's never been a scout. He's never been an administrator. And all of a sudden, he's an expert. He's in our papers two days ago telling us who we have to take. We don't have to take anybody that Mel Kuyper says we have to take. Mel Kuyper has no more credentials to do what he's doing than my neighbor, and my neighbor's a postman, and he doesn't even have season tickets to the NFL. <laughs> so that, of course, <laughs> the first voice was Mel Kuyper Jr. criticizing Bill Tobin for his draft ESPN pick. ESPN analyst. Yep. And uh, Bill Tobin, who at that time was the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts. Um, Bobby? It's a it's a very wonderful moment. It's it's it a, especially if you remember how boring draft day used to be on television. Yeah, no going kidding. back there, that's one of the. It's almost the uh, Jim Everett moment, kind of ask uh, going viral there. It's funny because he's not neither. Well, I think um, Mel Kuyper's always kind of out there with his takes, and like well, I don't know that he's out there. I you know. He's, well, here's here's he, a little bit more. Let let me play a little bit more of Bill Tobin. This is this sister. This son. is afterwards at I guess a press conference that he had, kind of talking about his words about Mel Kiper Jr. What do you want to cover first, our players or uh, that or that jerk in uh, <laughs> Baltimore? Well, let me tell you a little bit. I mean, the people in this room. Mel Kiper lives in Baltimore, and I found all this out about the last three days. He lives in Baltimore. He tried to uh, hang around the practices up there, I think, when Teddy was a coach earlier. And this didn't come from Teddy. This came from another guy. But he always wanted to work in the NFL. He has no credentials to work in the NFL. He always just hung around. Nobody ever hired him. He's never been hired by anyone. 
When the Colts moved here, he was very, very upset. So every chance that Mel Kuyper gets to shoot at the Colts in Indianapolis, he's going to do it. He reaches out to everyone. I got a sister in Burlington Junction, Missouri, that when we took William Perry back in 84 or 85, I talked to her two days later, and she said, why did you take the fat kid? <laughs> and I said, you just have to believe me, he was, he was the best available. And he was the best available. But, I mean, Mel Kuyper gets to your sister. He gets to your mother. He gets to everybody. Lock up your sisters yeah. and mothers. Mel Kuyper Jr. gets to him. I'll say this. Mel Kuyper Jr., essentially, I mean, he's only 61 years old. So, he's you know, he's, he's not even that old. So, in 1994, that's, that's what? Like, he was in his 30s still, yeah. I guess. I mean, he essentially... He, has had that job for a long time. Well, he well not that. He's the founder of like where all this draft coverage has gone. I mean, when you look at the '80s and ESPN, the draft was still it was like done in a conference room, you know, like in a hotel someplace in New York. And look what it's turned into. And I'm not saying he's the one who grew the draft, but all these guys doing draft coverage, and even I think you can take it to website guys who who cover recruiting and things like that mel kuyper was like he turned an interest like a hobby his interest in in the nfl he turned it into a career and he's become a millionaire off doing it so obviously in that moment maybe uh bill tobin had some points but mel kuyper jr is definitely one in the long run oh in the long run for sure he has it's just interesting to to look back at that draft because the Colts drafted the only Hall of Famer in the first round so far. Marshall Falk. And Marshall Falk at number two. Because that's that's the other part of this whole conversation. Yeah, the Colts had the number two pick. They had already taken Marshall Falk. But, so they re-entered. Right, with, but they needed a quarterback. They had the, the pick, I think it was the number six pick. Yeah. And so they end up taking Trev Alberts. That was a horrible pick. Now, in Bill Tobin's defense, Trent Dilfer didn't exactly turn into a Hall of Famer himself. So it's not like Trent Dilfer was really an upgrade from what the Colts ended up getting out of Jim Harbaugh because Harbaugh actually took the Colts to the playoffs a couple years later. Yeah, and they lost the Steelers on a Hail Mary that yeah. was almost caught. And he, it shows how much the draft has not really changed because it's like, okay, well, this is the best quarterback. Still so, a crapshoot. So he should be the first, you know, your franchise guy, but just because he's the best quarterback available. Because Dilford did win a Super Bowl in Baltimore yeah. in 2000, That's I think true. it was. Ironically, when you consider like Baltimore you know, the going to Indy. was yeah. talking about, yeah, the, yeah. But I, you know, it just shows that I think that things are still the same because it, it, it's funny to watch. And how can you say this guy's a franchise guy? I think in the anymore in the draft, and how short you get of a window to prove yourself. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the other side of this is whether you, you know, we we were just kind of talking off the air about, you know, you make picks and you you do all these things, and we try to predict things on this show and other shows, and obviously they do on ESPN and Mel Kiper Jr. and Todd McShay and everybody's got their opinions about all these guys and in the end like a year from now we're not going to remember what they said about hardly any of these guys any of them yeah unless they turn out to be a monumental bust or you know like a future hall of famer in 10 years when they replay the reel or here's what they said about them on draft night you know kind of like this it's like it's it's just a, a a big cycle Everyone's doing the best they can to evaluate these guys. And so, whether you're Mel Kiper Jr. or an NFL executive, a lot of guys whiff on these guys. Well, and a lot of the players flame out once they get paid, kind of. But what yeah. you were talking about, is this one of the greatest TV draft moments ever? 
And I think it is. I think it's number one. The only other moment that sticks out to me for the draft is when, was it Minnesota? They missed their pick. See, I don't even remember that. Because they were trying to get a trade or something, and their time ran out. So then the Bills drafted somebody real quick, and then somebody else drafted, and they were like three picks later because their time ran out. Yeah. And that was kind of an embarrassing moment that made it – it was funny because it's like, well, are they ever going to take anybody? We've never seen the time run out. Right. Who do you consider, like, your, your top couple all-time biggest draft busts? Well, busts is – I think number one that comes to my mind is Jamarcus Russell. Okay. The Raiders I, quarterback the same year Brady Quinn was coming out. And I feel like they just put a lot of stock into him, and he barely ever played. He had the he had the body of Ben Roethlisberger with more athleticism, supposedly, and it just never, ever panned out. And then, obviously, the other big bust of all time is Ryan Leaf, yeah. who they drafted super high and super early and just never well, even – the 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 nineteen ninety eight draft had a lot of good people. Yeah, including Peyton Manning goes number one. And again, like when you talk about these guys do all this evaluation, like it was Peyton Manning was not the Sherlock number one. It was Manning or Leaf, and there was a lot of debate on who the Colts should take. And Bill Polian, you know, comes in. He had just been hired as general manager. That offseason, Bill Polian comes in, and that's the decision he had to make right away. Who are they going to take? Number one, Manning or Leaf. He went with Peyton Manning, Hall of Famer. You know, wins three Super Bowls. And um, Leaf did not. Yeah. He didn't even make it that long in the league before. No. He, well, he had issues that had were. A lot of issues. Which were off the field, too. But yeah, you look at a guy. That draft was just stockpiled with talent. Like Randy Moss, I think, was in that draft. I think Charles Woodson was in that draft. Yeah, I think some guy went in the sixth round in that draft. Yeah, Charles Woodson won the Heisman. Yeah, you know, in that. So uh, that draft, it's almost like anybody you pick should have been good, but Ryan Leaf yeah. was a big bust. Yeah, see, mine, uh, Leaf is right up there for whatever reason. The one that I think of right away is Tony Mandarich, the offensive lineman from Michigan State, and you might be a little too young to remember, but there's like he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated with his shirt off. And he had the Guns N' Roses tattoo and all this stuff. And he was supposed to be, you know, like the big-time rock star. And when you look at the fact that he ended up going number two overall to the Packers, the next three picks after him, Barry Sanders. <laughs> Pretty good. Derek Thomas. Linebacker went to the Chiefs. Kansas City Chiefs. Deion Sanders. All three of those guys became Hall of Famers. Tony Mandrich, total fizz out. So he's, he's like the first one I think of, Ryan Leaf probably right after him for mine so and the other question you described almost perfectly brian bosworth was he i don't remember was he already not a high draft pick by the time he got drafted oh that's another one that's, that's up there one. now yeah. you know he had some injuries that you know kind of contributed to it. but again like you're talking about a middle linebacker that went that high and there was just so much hype with him and then you know, of course, the you know the PEDs, steroids. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if we were calling them PEDs back yeah. then. It was still steroids, pretty much. But you know, and then the the signature moment was when Bo Jackson just trucked him. I was just say trucked him. On the, <laughs> yeah, one night football. So what was your other bust? Uh, I actually had Jamarcus Russell. As Did well. you? Really? Those are my, those are my top three. Yeah, yeah. They put a lot of interest into Jamarcus. And I was thinking about one of the draft day things, and it didn't wasn't a bust, but that Mike Ditka traded the whole draft to bring in Ricky Williams, no. a running back for the Saints. And he was a good little running back, but it wasn't worth giving up the house to get him. Yeah, I mean, it's 
kind of like the same deal that you know a, a little bit different but like what you know Herschel Walker Walker that with, trade with the Minnesota Vikings that uh, it didn't work out for the Vikings it didn't work out for the Saints and no. just yet more proof that you don't put that much stock in one running back <laughs> like it's weird if you take a pick but like to give up multiples uh, yeah yeah now Herschel Walker trade still the biggest trade in the history of football right trade half their team almost what about the flip side of it you know who who are maybe your top steals of all time and can we stipulate the guy that we spent time talking about with his contract Tom Brady is probably we're gonna throw the him biggest, sure. the biggest steal of all time right you know known that he you know he went with 199th pick overall to the New England Patriots, who are maybe a couple other of the big steals of all time in the draft. I went back a ways. I think one of them in the 16th round was Bart Starr. Wow. Because 16th round means you, and they didn't have that many teams back then either. Yeah. So the fact that he came and won the first two Super Bowls and was an iconic player for that long out of Alabama, I think, for the Packers, he's got to be one of the biggest steals of all time. Yeah, and I want to say... I was thinking Len Dawson was also a late round. But, you know, but like back then, again, like when you look at, at draft coverage and scouting, you know, there yeah. was no internet or, you know, barely any TV. I think it was easier for guys to slip through the cracks back then. But that's then, definitely a good one to go because obviously they don't even have 16 rounds of the And draft there weren't anymore. that many teams. So, like the yeah. 16th round was what number pick. And then I think a more of a modern one, when I say modern, it's 37 years ago, was Dan Marino. He slipped to the end of the first round. Again, bias is a Dolphins fan. Yeah. The only pick after him went to the Redskins, which was Daryl Green, who ended up being a Hall of Famer, one of the fastest guys in football. Yeah. But every other team in the NFL passed on Dan Marino, and I think any team moving forward would have loved to have had a quarterback that had that production. I know. I mean, like you, and th talent. you think about the teams that took quarterbacks in that draft, whether it was and the it was Jets, 83. Yep. Todd, Ken Blackledge, yeah, Todd Blackledge going to Kansas City. Yep. Of course, they... They made the great 30 for 30 on that. Have you seen that? Elway to, El Marino. to Marino. Yeah. Really good. And Jim Kelly was in that draft. Yep. So, the, I mean, there was a lot of talent, but still, the every because he Marino broke all those records before passing was preferred in the NFL. Right. Like, if Marino goes to Kansas City instead of Blackledge, is, is Kansas City's fate different, like, does he, pl you know, does he play on that same level, or... Was his career also, you know, arc also changed because of the fact that he had Don Shula, you know, a Hall of Fame coach along with him? Well, I think Shula saw what he had with Marino in that arm. And right. so he kind of. And that's what, you know, again, because yeah, like. It's, yeah. They could go either way, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I think that the Dolphins did significantly better than they would have they had Blackledge. And I think that the Chiefs would have done okay with Marino, but I don't know if they would have used him enough in his talents and to be the that's standout. That's question. Yeah. Because yeah. you also had good weather in Miami to throw the ball the way they did all the time. That's true. Right? Where, like, it's going to be different in Kansas City. But And Marino slipped for reasons, again, off the field. There was rumors circulating around him. Right. But he, he grew up and played in Pittsburgh his whole life. So I think the weather might not have bothered him as much. Yeah. Well, and that was another thing that, like, even the Pittsburgh Steelers passed on him. But there was the feeling, and again, I think I saw it in that 30 for 30, that like the Steelers were like, ah, maybe you're better off going and playing someplace else. Yeah. My, uh, a couple of mine, um, more recent, Richard Sherman was the 154th fifth, overall pick, fifth, fifth round, round guy yeah. out of Stanford. And of course, he was a converted wide receiver, so I think maybe that played into the fact that he went as low as he did. Uh, you know, that was in 2011. And then Frank Gore 
65th pick overall by San Francisco, and I think we were talking about him. And like he's the he's the third all-time leading rusher in NFL history, behind Emmett Smith and Walter Payton. And that's a high number and good for him, but the, it's a longevity award for him. You know, he's, but that's not a position that has a lot of longevity either. So you have to give him some credit. For how that. many Super Bowls does he have? No, I. But nobody counts rings on anybody but quarterbacks. Dan Marino right? had none. But that's my point. Yeah. Is is nobody cares about rings unless you're talking about quarterbacks. That's the only position where anyone really talks about that. You talk about guys at other positions, nobody even knows the amount of championships they've won. And, you know, some of his longevity was that when he was at Miami, he had Clinton Porras and William or Willis McGahee with him. Right. So he wasn't even used up when he left college because that backfield was so stacked. It's kind of like the Thurman Thomas, Barry Sanders effect. No, that, that I Oklahoma mean, he's, but, he's kind of like the Rafael Palmero of football. Just always there. A compiler, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah, it's not that he's bad, but I don't know if that's a not biggest saying that steal. He did, not saying he did the juice, but you know, yeah. Palmero was a compiler until you know he was finally until busted. he got kicked off the Cubs. Which yep. is kind of funny. Let's take a timeout. When we come back, more rapid fire, including where we think Kyle Hamilton's going to end up in the draft tonight. That's next on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat rolls on with rapid fire with Bobby Hensley, Sean Styers. All right, fill in the blank. Cal Hamilton will be drafted by the blanks with the blank pick in tonight's first round. I think he'll go between 10 and 15. No, you have to be specific here. 13 to the Texans. Okay. <laughs> they just need athletes on the team, and that's what he provides. I think you can maybe – he'll he's a safety by trade, but maybe they can work him into some other situations. They have the time to develop him because they're not a contender. I think that that would be a nice landing spot for him. Yeah, I think you can move him around and do some stuff. But as Marcus Freeman said, he's not a linebacker. But a safety, you know, by trade, there are some linebacker-type skills that come. You know, like both are going to, you know, play some coverage against a tight end, for example. Both have got to diagnose and move laterally and come downhill you know, to the ball in front of them, those kind of things. But a safety obviously has, you know, more more over the top. Yeah, stuff, over yeah. the top. You know, pass coverage. Yeah. But but as I said earlier, it's it's not that hard. You can play one deep with Cal Hamilton back there at the back end, and he can cover it. Yeah, and he can cover just a ton of ground back there. I've got him going twelfth to the Minnesota Vikings. So. One pick earlier. Yeah. Yeah, and, and just a guy that he shouldn't have. It's surprising that he slipped that far because of one drill pretty much is what the the negative on him is. Right. So, I, you know, a team, I don't know, all of them are bad at the beginning. That's why they're, that's why they're drafting so high. Yep. And the Texans might be a bad landing spot because oof, they're just so bad, and they don't have any pieces. It's become an abyss down there. It's amazing how quickly things turned. You yeah. Know? You know, they had Arian Foster, Sean Watson, everything was looking great. Now, and two years later, not even two full years, it's just well, and they're the as moment, bad or the worse moment than the Jets. they started trading their good players for no real reason. You know, it's that's that was the that was the beginning of the end for Bill O'Brien, and mm. it has just continually gone downhill since then. I mean, just look at what they did with the head coach. They gave the guy one year, and now they bring in Lovey Smith. You know, they oh. just bring in another retread. Yeah, just one of those guys that got in the fraternity, so he keeps getting yeah. another chance for no reason. Yeah, exactly. All right, so we've both got Kyle Hamilton going to the middle. I've got him going 12th. You've got him going 
13th. And I'll, I'll be really curious to see if he sticks in that area. Does he slide any farther? Because there's going to be someone taken much higher than you think tonight. There's going to be a guy or two who falls farther then you think he's going to fall. Is Kyle Hamilton going to be that guy because of all this talk? Well, and this draft is more wide open than any of the last several years because it's not quarterback-driven. Yeah. There's other positions That's exactly now. it. That's exactly it. Speaking of which, fill in the blank. The quarterback you would take in the first round tonight is blank. <laughs> yeah, it is blank because I wouldn't take any of them. <laughs> We're lockstep on this one. Too. <laughs> it's non-existent. There's not a quarterback I would draft in the first round tonight. Which kind of what I think you were getting at. If you want to ask who would be the top quarterback you think you should take in this draft, which is a different question, mm-hmm. I think Pickett, he offers a different skill set than just sitting in the pocket and throwing. So I think that might be a guy that down the road you could see kind of moving around or being a little more athletic. Almost not not to the degree, because I'm saying round two as well here, but kind of like Mahomes in the sense that Mahomes can move around enough, but he's not using his speed. He's still using his arm, and I think that we could see him develop into a middle-of-the-road quarterback, which is the highest of anybody in that whole class. My hesitation with Kenny Pickett is, of all the quarterbacks in this draft, like Malik Willis still mm-hmm. has a lot of upside. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to reach it, but there's a lot of upside there. That doesn't mean I would take him high. But Sam Howell, I think, still has some upside. Desmond Ritter has upside. I just feel like it took Kenny Pickett five years at Pittsburgh and a bad schedule that he played at Pittsburgh this past season to get to you know to the point that he is right now that's made him this borderline first round pick that basically has made him probably you know the 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 top quarterback in this draft. I feel like he's reached his ceiling. I just I just don't feel like there's any more for Kenny Pickett and that would be my biggest hesitation taking him that high. Like as a as a second or third round guy, I'd feel a lot better about Pickett. Like, you know, again, like do I already have somebody in place? I'm not banking everything on him to come in and be the guy pretty quickly. And kind of what you said, but Sam Howell, I feel, I just look at him, I'm like, oh, you're Sam Darnold a couple of years later. I just kind of see yeah, that. Again, and again, we're talking. Not a first-round guy. Again, I was just going to say, we're splitting hairs over people we expect to be second or third-round pick mm-hmm. talent. And, and Willis, he's played against an SEC defense. Some of those SEC defenses are pretty tough. So the fact that he still is emerging as a talent, that might make him look good. I just think that Pickett has some other talents that if they can rein him in, he's got the highest upside still. I mean, you think ceiling, and he is five years. But he, had, he had 42 touchdowns and seven interceptions this season. In his last three years before this 13 touchdowns was the most that he had in the season and he had nine interceptions most of the time so that's what i'm saying he's still evolving and he's still getting better maybe i mean we're again we're talking about diamonds in the rough but they were talking about him for like the last two years before this year and he finally hit it's it. a and weak again, schedule yeah, yeah. It's, it, it was the acc and i just it's just me i don't know it's like you say i don't think any of them are roster worthy i'd yeah. rather be taken let the other teams figure it out but I don't think I want any of those quarterbacks. What team do you think is most likely to have buyer's remorse? The team that is most likely to have buyer's remorse is the team that drafts blank tonight. <laughs> any of the quarterbacks. <laughs> that's, I'm, I'm serious. Probably, I mean, we're laughing. I just, right. 
I, I think that there's a couple buyer's remorse spots that are, it's like, uh, if you have number one, it's almost a buyer's remorse spot because no matter what you take, any of the players behind them yeah. could develop into a Hall of Famer and then you look like you have egg on your face because you didn't take him. But I, I seriously think that anybody that um, takes a quarterback or even worse, trades up to take a quarterback is going to have the buyer's remorse. I think that's it. Don't, you know, if they're if they're trading up, I, I guess the the only caveat would be there are a lot of there are multiple teams with multiple first first round picks tonight. So like if you took you know something else high and then you take one of these quarterbacks with your second pick late, you know, like the Detroit Lions, for example, you know maybe that's a little bit different because you've already got something else. No, I think the exact you, opposite. You, you, you still just say run from these quarterbacks, basically, in the right, first round. Right, because if you're the Lions and you get <laughs> – at least they're not drafting a receiver every year like they were for a while. True. But I'm saying, like, if, okay, you have two first-round picks and you use one early on a can't-miss guy. Okay, good. The second one, if you end up with a quarterback that doesn't pan out, that's a wasted pick, and you need a lot of help. Maybe you good solidify point. another position so that you're not wasting on a gamble of a quarterback that – the first year won't be better than Jarrett Goff. See, and that's like if if I'm the Detroit Lions, even though I've got the multiple picks, I, I kind of along the line of what you're saying right there. I still have Jared Goff, mm-hmm. and I'm still a couple of years away. I'm not, you know, they're not going to be that good again this year. I would rather just do what you said, address another need, or even. Trade down if you can with that second pick and get more, you know, like extra second round picks or whatever to fill out your roster, because they're there's they're still hoping to be 500 basically this coming season. So I would I would rather bank on next year's quarterback draft class than try to do that this year or free agency or trades if somebody else emerged. I there's so many better because Jared Goff he's not winning your Super Bowl. The Rams showed that yeah. they got a different guy. But they had um, Bradford, and he wasn't going to win a Super Bowl there. So, I, or not Bradford, um, Stafford. Stafford, and, and so I think you just stay with Goff. That's he's going to be the good, good enough for you guys for your talent level now. Do you have any draft day traditions? <laughs> no, you had to avoid it. I don't like watching it. It's just too overproduced. It takes too long between picks, and now that they've spread it out as a week long process, yeah, that's like, do I really need to spend my whole prime time tonight watching the draft? No, I can see who the picks are, and that's enough for me. I don't need to see everybody saying who they should pick or best available. Because if you have best available and you're stacked at that position, that doesn't mean anything either. I just i I think last year, you know, they they say the draft starts at eight o'clock. I want to say they made the first pick at like eight fifteen, eight twenty, something like that. It's on a team that's been on the clock for come months. Come on, yeah, exactly. Come on, at least make the first pick be over with quick, right? Because that twenty minutes shores up the whole first round, kind of. Yeah, but they don't. No, I know, and I, yeah, my only tradition is sitting on the couch watching it. That's it. Yeah. I, there's there's nothing really crazy. I didn't know. See, I didn't know what your answer was going to be and I didn't realize you were that anti draft. I was completely content when it was Saturday and Sunday and you know they started at like noon or whatever but and that course. was a weekend and that was fun. I enjoyed that more cuz at noon yeah. on a Saturday you could see the first pick. Yep. Do you like the movie Draft Day with Kevin Costner? I think that movie is wonderful. 
That's just another example of how you and I differ, my friend. It's it's football <laughs> fantasy. That, it's, it's not real. It's amazing how polarizing that movie is because you either are all in on that movie or you are so far away, and you are all in, and I am so far away. I mean, the cast with Jennifer Gardner, she's awesome. Dennis Leary plays a nice – I think he plays a nice role in the coach. I think it's cool how they tie it all together at the end. Okay. <laughs> In, in fantasy land, because no draft ever actually goes like that. Absolutely. <laughs> Budweiser's weekday sports beat is brought to you by Budweiser, Tim Growl State Farm Insurance, Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, and the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. First round of the draft is tonight. We'll be back tomorrow to tell you how things go for Kyle Hamilton and the rest, and I'll talk to you in rapid fire tomorrow night, Bobby. Can't wait. WSBT South Bend. Are you a business owner worried about the safety of your sensitive data? Look no further than Midwest Data Depot, your local secure off-site backup storage solution. Visit MidwestDataDepot.com.